Lovely. Have a seat. Nice to have you here this morning. As always, it's good to see you. Yeah, you're all looking very good today. And I say that, you know, do that. You know why? Because you're all heroes to me. Because we're, we're talking about heroes, okay? Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about the Marvel comic type, okay? And I'm not talking about, you know, and, and, and not to disparage this group, but I'm not talking about, you know, police and firemen and, and military and all that kind of stuff. Because they're, they put their lives on the line, but we're not talking about those kind of heroes, okay? We're talking about everyday, ordinary, unlikely heroes, You know, Darlene and I were in the grocery store. We began the series last week on on heroes. And I was walking through the grocery store, and there was somebody wearing a T-shirt that said, not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, yeah. And you know when you just walk by something like that, and you see it, and you kind of do a silent amen right there? Okay, it was a bit of a silent amen. But we're talking about unlikely heroes, and we're looking at those unlikely heroes in the Bible. And, you know, for many of you, for many of you, can we be be honest for a minute? There is somebody in your life that is a hero to you. They may not ever identify themselves in that particular way, but we all have someone in our lives that, you know, they have done something significant. They've acted in a way, or they did something at a particular moment in time, or they became the hands and feet of Jesus for us at a particular point in time, or there's, there's, there's something that they did that, that was heroic in many, many ways, although we would never, you know, they would never accept that kind of title for themselves, but we know that there are people in our lives that, that are heroes in one way or another. And when they're gone, or when they, you know, uh, if they weren't part of our lives, we would know right away the, what they've left behind, what we would miss. And in many ways, if you, if you listed those characteristics that you would miss, in many ways, they're kind of hero, hero qualities, okay? Now, before I start this morning, I know um, I, I want to give you a couple of definitions of, of heroes that, that we're going to be looking at. And the, f- the first definition is this, is a person who is carrying a significant life burden, but who carries it with faith, dignity, integrity, and perpetual hope. Have you ever met somebody like that? Like, they're going through something, they're, going, they, you know, they're carrying a burden, they're carrying something, and yet they, they have a, an, an amazing faith in God and an amazing trust in God. And, and you're going like, how, you know, this would decimate most other people. And you, and you carry it with such dignity and with such faith and with such integrity. And it's so amazing. How can, how can you view life? Anyone else would have ab- absolutely been destroyed by this, by this one particular thing that you're carrying. And yet it's so heroic. It's so heroic to carry it with the kind of dignity and the faith that you do. The second, second uh, definition I want to deal with is an ordinary person whom God uses for extraordinary results. There are so many people in the Bible that, you know, if you put them in a category, the care, you know, those, those categories would have everything going against them. Last week, we looked at Rahab, and Rahab was a Canaanite, and she was a woman, and she was a prostitute, and she was, a, you know, uh, of a pagan culture. And here she was that becomes this kind of unlikely hero to, you know, the, the conquest of the promised land for the Israelites, and yet no one would have ever said, put all these people in the lineup, and I'm going to pick the person who we think is going to be the most heroic at a time that it was absolutely needed. No one would have picked up Rahab. 
And yet she was an incredible, you know, stepped into the gap, acted courageously at a time when no one else, when everybody was cowering with fear. Because if you read the text from last week, everyone was cowering in fear before the Israelites. Yet Rahab stood forward and made all the difference in the world. And we're going to look at another woman this morning. It's an absolutely beautiful book. It's a, bo- it's a book about covenantal love. It's a book about redemption. It is, it is a, 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 an absolute gem in the Old Testament. Um, and, it's, and it's a wonderful book. It's the book of Ruth. We're going to look at the first number of verses. And we're just going to unpack it a little bit. And we're going to look at the person of Ruth, a Moabite. Okay? So I'm going to start reading at chapter 1 and go through a few verses and, and make some comments as we go. So here, here is how this whole book started. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Moab, by the way, is not necessarily a friendly country to Israel, all right? There's a lot of history between them. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Now, can I teach you a little bit of Hebrew? Okay, let's teach you a little bit of Hebrew. The word Bethlehem comes from two Hebrew words. The first word is Beth, which means house. Do you know what Lachem means? Bread. The house of bread or the house of food, okay? Which is real irony as the story starts out because a famine is happening in Judah from the land or the house of bread, the house of food, okay? So a place that should be Um, you know, bountiful is now empty. It's not bountiful. And they have to leave the house of food, the house of bread, because of a famine. The very place that you'd have abundance now does not have abundance. So that's a pretty tricky part to this particular book of Ruth. Ruth. Let's keep reading. Uh, Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. Both about 10 years later, but about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Okay? The story starts out with amazing amount of grief, okay? And by the way, uh, you all heard of Oprah Winfrey, okay? This was originally what was supposed to be her name, Orpah, okay? But there was some confusion, and they couldn't pronounce it properly, and it ended up getting the words, the, the letters mixed around and became Oprah. But this was what her mother originally called her, Orpah. Orpah Winfrey doesn't sound right, does it? Okay. (laughs) All right. So I just gave you two trivia things for the next Trivial Pursuit game that you play. Okay. All right. You've got got them. That was 
That's, so when people say, where did Oprah's original name come from? This is, this is the text that her mother took it from. Okay? Um, here is a society where the husbands, the men, you know, are, are the ones that foster protection. Naomi is now single, without her husband, without her two sons. She has two daughter-in-laws, and she's in a foreign country. She's basically a refugee, and she doesn't have anything of substance because the men in her life are gone. In that day, in that culture, she is now in danger, okay? So um, there's emptiness of food. There's emptiness of, of place and home. There's an emptiness now uh, of family. The story is, is started out with, with grief and a lot of emptiness as it begins. And it doesn't look good for Naomi. If you wonder about you know, what her future can look like, it doesn't look promising at all for her. And, if, and in fact, let's read the next pa passage and, and we'll keep going with this. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So the famine is coming to an end. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now, very interestingly enough, um, we, you know, it, it says that she's heard that things are getting better back in Judah. So she starts heading back. And what the text, um, you know, as we continue reading this, I'm only going to continue to read like a few verses after this, but I want to fill in the blanks. As they start out, as they start heading back to Judah, as Naomi takes Naomi kind of stops the two daughter-in-laws and said, listen, you know, why, why are you going to continue going with me? There's, there's, there's nothing that I can offer you. And in that day and age, you know, if, if, they, if, if they had other brothers or something, the brothers automatically married the wives. If a brother died with a wife and the brother was single, he automatically married that woman. That's what happened in that culture. Are you guys okay? Yeah. We're just, we're talking, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, some, some of you guys are going, boy, I, like, I, I missed that bullet, right, or something. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's what happened in that culture. That's what happened in that culture. And she's basically telling them, there's, there's no good reason for you to follow me. There's no good reason. I have nothing to offer you. Your husbands are dead. My sons are dead. My husband's dead. You know, I'm going back. Okay. In fact, you're going to a foreign land now because you are Moabites. This is, this is your homeland. You are more comfortable here. There's nothing that I can give you going back. In fact, it sounds like there's no inheritance, nothing for her that she's starting from scratch. So it's, it's not good. And in fact, Naomi even goes on to say in the text that God has something against her. That God is dealing with her very painfully. That something's happened. In fact, when she finally gets back to Judah, she tells people not to call her Naomi anymore, to call her Mara. Because Mara in Hebrew is bitter. That my life has now become bitter. And Naomi, if I remember correct, means pleasant in Hebrew. So she's gone from pleasant to bitter. 
that her whole life is, is categorized now, and she doesn't even want people to call her by her original name. I want you to call me by, by, by what God is doing to me. Because whatever, it, it has to be God that's done this to me. And, 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 and you know, I, th- I think we've been there at moments in our lives when, when something happens and the first thing we say is, God, why me? What, or, or the second question, if it's not, God, why me? It's, what did I do? Did I do something to deserve this? Did I, did I you know, was it... <laughs> You know, that, that thing that I'm paying for for so many, you know, that I did so many years ago. Like, we have all kinds of scenarios that we play out in our head. And granted, Naomi's had a crushing life. To lose so many people close to you. It's no wonder that she would think that something, that she's been targeted by God in one way or another. You know, as, 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 as a pastor, that's a common question I get all the time from people who have suffered great things or, or from, from, from people that have experienced things. And, and, and right away, it's like, what, is, what has God got against me? In fact, one of the hardest messages as, as, as churches is to convey this whole idea that God is a God of love, that God cares, that God, you know, wants the very best for us. And unfortunately, you know, life with all its difficulties and the, and, and the way sin has permeated everything in our lives, most of us kind of, kind of like, we, we know theologically in our heads this whole idea of God loving us and this whole idea of God being, you know, for us as opposed to against us. But there are times in our lives we say, well, it doesn't feel that way. There's no way it could, that, that could be right because otherwise, why would God treat me like this? Or if God's totally in control, why let this happen? Or if God's there in the midst of all of this stuff, why, you know, where's, where's the permission slip for this? And we've all been there. We've all experienced it. We've all asked that question. You know, even the very faithful one of us, you know, who have, who have walked with God a long time, have, have found situations where we just said, God, why me? Okay? In fact, we can give God a lot of suggestions who it should have fallen on, right? Come on, guys, you can laugh at that. Give me one. Just give me one, okay? <laughs> right? I can get him a whole long list of, of those that he could have dealt with better than that, okay? Right? But we've all been there, and we look at the life of Naomi, and certainly it causes us to ask all those questions again. So Naomi's put it out, and you know, there's no good reason for the, the daughter-in-law to say, we're going to stay. There's none. Because Naomi is absolutely right. There's nothing that she has to offer them. And in an age and in a time when it was critical for to be part of a relationship with a man just for safety, let alone anything else, you can absolutely understand if the daughter-in-laws were to check out and walk away. Okay? Here's what happens after she has this little speech with them. And again, they wept together. They were weeping a lot, okay? And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. 
Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. In other words, Naomi's saying she is making the right decision. She is making the logical decision. She is the one that's realizing what her future is going to be like if she continues. Okay? Here's the passage we're going to kind of center in on. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. I think that should be a, no, forget it. Um, that's, that's a powerful statement right, right there. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Can we just sit on that for a minute? That passage by itself categorizes the entire book of Ruth. This, this determination of this young woman to stay with her mother-in-law when everything else says no. Do you realize, by the way, this is the only time in the Old Testament that we have a conversation between women that doesn't involve the welfare of, another, of a man? This is purely a conversation between women about women. And it's absolutely endearing in all of its power, in all of its glory, if I want to say it in that, in that particular way. You see, everything that Naomi has lost is being reaffirmed through the words of Ruth. She has lost everything. And Ruth is saying, you know what? Everything that you have cherished and loved has disappeared. I'm not going to be one of them. I'm here no matter what. It may seem illogical, but I'm not just going to embrace you as another person, but I'm going to embrace everything that you love and hold dear. The God that you worship, the land that you live in, the very ground that you walk on, everything that is yours is going to become mine because I can't leave you because everyone else has left you. I... Imagine... Imagine the very people dearest to you would say to you, I'm not going anywhere, no matter what. There's just nothing that separates us. I will always be here. I, you know, I don't know about you, but there's, there's few words from another human being that can be more powerful than that. That no matter what you go through, I'll be here. 
that nothing's going to separate us, that the only thing, the only thing that can separate us is death. And the only reason she can say that is because it's the one thing she doesn't have control over. But everything else, within her power, she is going to make sure that she's present in the life of Naomi. Ah, that's, that's covenantal love in a way that you can't imagine. That's the expression, by the way, of God's love for his people. From the very best to the very worst, I will be ever present in your life. I will be there. I will walk with you no matter the hill, no matter the valley, that I'm not going anywhere. That is the most, one of the most powerful theological notions about God is God being ever present always on and there. That he never slumbers, that he never sleeps, that he'll never let your foot slip. Like all those things from like, you know, Psalm 123, those, those beautiful passages that reaffirm the absolute presence of God in every situation and circumstance. Nothing, nothing in this life can take that away. And Naomi is expressing that in no uncertain terms. Or Ruth is, and Naomi can't argue against her. Okay? Here, here are just three really quick points that I, I, I want to make about this particular section and why she's an unlikely hero. Okay? Ruth understands something, and this is the same point we made last week about Rahab. She understands the power of one person. She understands the power of one person. Okay? Um, I'm going to appeal to a movie that, you know, Men in Black. Can I appeal to a movie of Men in Black? I can't believe sometimes you get a really a movie and there's a pearl of wisdom that comes out of a movie like that and you kind of go, I can't believe I'm going to actually say this, right? But I think there's a line in, in, the, in the latest one that says individuals are smart, crowds are stupid. You remember, nobody remember that line, right? You know, mobs are, are, mobs are stupid, but individuals are very smart. We tend to have that backwards. We tend to think the crowd is where we should be following. Or the crowd is, you know, because everybody's doing it, I should do it. Because this is the common thing, then, I, then this, is, this is what everyone else should be doing. The reality is, is we know that most of the time, the crowd is stupid. But how many of us have... have the bravery to step up out individually and realize the difference that one of us can make when we stand up. The change we can make in other human beings when we stand up. That it scares us to be able to say that one person and one person, me especially, can make a difference in another person's life. Imagine where Naomi would have been if Ruth had walked away too. If you know anything about the book of Ruth, and as the book of Ruth unfolds, Ruth absolutely becomes this catalyst of something amazing that happens in the life of Naomi. 
Because Ruth knows that everything that Naomi has lost, she can make a difference in her life. One person can change the world. One person can change a city, a country, a family, a neighborhood. And God loves to use one person who's committed to him. You know, there was an old adage years ago, I don't know if we still say it, but, but one person in God makes an army. And that's the, it's the beautiful thing that all these unlikely heroes stepped out, did something courageous, said someone has to do it, and I'm not going to push it off to somebody else, that I'm going to be the one that's going to step in the gap because I realize that I can make all the difference in the world. And many of you know that if you look at the Bible, God uses one person to change all kinds of things, to become a catalyst for all kinds of things. And it's amazing. And, you know, we celebrate people who have come out of, or, you, know, you know, circumstances that would have, you know, that that they just become a footnote in history, but their name is elevated historically because they made a difference. And one person stepped out, and we know when the one person makes a difference, it kind of generates this, this momentum of other people who step up and say, if they're brave enough, I can be brave enough. But one person can make a difference. Here's the second thing about, Naomi, about Ruth that's absolutely amazing. She simply communicates presence, grace, and hope. I don't, you know, I, I, have, I have a number of people like this in my own life, right? They could easily, you know, in the, in the, in the quietness of, of our conversations, they could say, you know, you know, John, you messed up, or you made a bad decision, or you shouldn't, you know, whatever. But each and every time, they're just always there, and they talk, you know, they, they communicate grace and they communicate hope and they kind of keep me going. Have you ever been in that place where you just want to give up? You just want to stop? You just, you're just saying, it's not worth it anymore. I don't, I don't want to try anymore. I don't want to keep going anymore. It's, it's just, you know, I'm spinning my wheels, all kinds of stuff. And maybe, maybe that particular thing needs to end, maybe so. But these people come along and they've got a way of kind of, hopefully redirecting you or keeping you going or, or, or making, making you feel like this is so important that you can't ignore it. Like, it's all kinds of things that happen. And these people are just so powerful in your life. And I think that the book of Ruth would never have existed if she just didn't communicate the very presence of God. Naomi is saying, God is doing this to me. God, you know, and Naomi's going, and, and Ruth is going, guess what? The presence of God, you know, I'm going to become the hands and feet of God for you. And sometimes that's what people need more than anything else, is a physical representation of God's love in their life. Sometimes that's all they need. Because I guarantee one thing about most people, at least most people I know, when they mess up, when, when, when most of us mess up, we're the first ones to know it. 
or we're the ones battling the most with the guilt that's involved in it. Sometimes when you go to somebody else and say, you messed up, you're just an echo of what's already going on in their head. But grace, presence, and hope. That's something that Ruth gave to Naomi that she had no expectation at this point in her life. She, she had every right to feel that nothing from here on in is going to be any different because all she's experienced is grief and emptiness and barrenness and, you know, no love, that anything that she's invested in just disappears. And here she is. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. Her legacy. By the time we get to the end of the book of Ruth, we find out that she becomes the great-grandmother to King David. Now, this is really important because she's a Moabite. She shouldn't even be in the lineage of the Messiah, and that's where she ends up. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she is named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Her difference to Naomi became a catalyst for God's purpose for the world, to bring the Messiah into the world, the one that was going to be the perfect human being, the sinless wonder, the Son of God who would come and redeem the entire world, that she just became a foreshadow of what the Messiah was going to bring to the entire world. And I think that's a beautiful story. Can we just walk away from church and say, hey, that was a beautiful story? That's the beauty of Ruth. One person become the presence, the grace, and the hope of God. And God used her because of her willingness to be used of God for tremendous, tremendous results. Who can you make a difference to today? Who can you be a Ruth to today? Many of you probably don't realize how much God is working in your lives and the difference God is making in other people's lives through you when you submit yourself to being used of God in that way. We don't think, we, you know, many of you are just sitting here going, you know what, I'm just trying to get through the day, you know. I have 17 kids, I'm trying to get through. Like, I'm just trying to get, you know, like, you know, I got diapers on one side and, you know, all this, you know. I'm just trying to get through, through the day, right, <laughs> you know. And... Um, if you got 17 kids and you're not using a diaper service, you're braver. You're 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 a likely hero. <laughs> you're not just an unlikely hero, right? You know, stuff. <laughs> All the parents are going, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, okay. We don't like the label of hero, but can I just say? Can I just say for many, for many of you? I'm going to say it again. Many of you are heroic in your lives much more than you think so. 
You're getting up every morning with the responsibilities that you have. And, you're, and maybe there's days you're just saying, oh, but you do it. You do it in the midst of, the, of all the struggles that you have and, and the challenges that are part of your life. But you're doing it. And you're doing it because you know that staying faithful to God is, is more important than anything else. And you may question how God's going to use all this, and you may question how God is going to turn this into good. But the reality is, is you're living heroic lives. You may not necessarily call yourself that or be embarrassed to have that label, but if you're being faithful each and every day and God's being able to use you, then you're a, you're a hero. You're an unlikely one. But you're certainly making a difference in people's lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the life of Ruth and this great little book about a simple woman who yet made an incredible difference in the life of a grieving one. Lord, we've looked at that story, you know, for some of us for so many years and probably have never realized just how much Bruce stood in the gap at a very difficult time when everyone and anyone that had any inkling of that time period, it would have been much wiser for her to just walk away. And yet she committed to being there. And sometimes, Lord, that's all we need is just someone to be there. So, Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your blessing us with this look at Ruth. And we pray that from here on, for someone in this room, they will recognize the place that they are and the role they're playing in your plan and your purpose. And they will continue to submit themselves to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.